0: Uh, you look good it's good to see you Uh, I've known you know some of us are better looking with mask on so it you know it's not it's not a detriment it helps us you know it's covering more Uh, so it's good to see you we've been talking about the upside down kingdom we're going to finish in the kingdom of God today and uh, finish talking about that Uh, we've been talking the last couple weeks about the early church what the early church did and so we've kind of been talking about what are the how do we live it how do we do it what are some things that we do in the kingdom this is not a this is not an exhaustive list because the kingdom of god encompasses every aspect of your life it's inviting the rule and reign of god into every area of your life so we could preach a sermon about the kingdom of god any time we really preach about doing the word of god we're talking about the kingdom of god so just some things here's some things or here's the deal you know if you've heard that lately uh Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Hope you watched the debates. I watched the debates. I was able to watch this debate, so that was different. Uh, The kingdom of (laughs) God—let's just preach the Word and get out of that. Okay. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where the rich don't receive preferential treatment, and the poor are not ignored or devalued, and all are precious to God. So the kingdom of God, what's different than the kingdom of God is that the early church was different, that it was a community of male, female, Jew, Greek, all different races, all all different socioeconomic groups that gathered at the foot of the cross. They gathered early on Sunday mornings to come together to sing a couple of songs. A lot of times they were psalms, actually psalms from the Old Testament. Uh, The book of psalms was their hymn book. They sang psalms someone would read a letter from Paul or read a portion of Scripture that most of them didn't have. They didn't have Scripture because Scripture was very precious to have a, an actual scroll or a codex, a book, was very rare. In, especially in the early church, it became more common later on, of course, where there were millions of copies of Scripture. Uh, but they did, that. they did that. If they were caught doing that, they would die if if they were caught going to church the cost of going to church because the romans greatly feared groups gathering they saw it as a coup uh, and here was this crazy group this unusual group that was across all kinds of socioeconomic, it was just didn't, it didn't match up with anything they'd ever seen. So here this group, this group of Christians, this ecclesia, this called out group, is gathered together just to worship, and, and they won't do the thing that Rome declares that they must do, to declare that Caesar is Lord, and they won't do it. They won't make that statement, and, and, and being unwilling to make that statement, it costs them their life. So that's the risk that they were willing to take to obey Christ and follow Christ and just to gather for church. Secondly, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where children are treasured and precious. We talked about this last week, but I'm just a little brief review in case you weren't here or you were sleeping during that part but jesus called for them saying permit the children to come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of god belongs to such as these truly i say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child will not enter it at all so we know children love easily uh love one another is the law of christ we need to learn to love each other better uh children trust completely uh we're always learning to trust i don't know about you i'm always learning to trust jesus more i've been serving jesus for uh 40 something years and uh uh and i'm always learning to trust him there's things that he shows me that i thought i trusted him in but that i realized that i didn't and so i'm always learning to trust him more and trust completely Uh, one thing about children that children readily forgive and we must forgive as he forgives we need to be people who forgive the true, the true nature of parenting, parenting is a challenging job. The true nature of parenting, loving, being like a child, is doing what is best for the kids. And doing what is best for the kids is very seldom giving them what they want. Right? Doing what is best for the kids is often discipline and sacrifice. And it often, it's often requires discipline and sacrifice from you. What's, you know, in other words, if you ground your children, guess what? Mm -hmm. You just grounded yourself. Kids don't get that. They don't understand that you've done that. They're like, well, I'm grounded. They're like, well, mom says, so am I. You know. So, you know, parenting is a sacrifice. So we, we have to, in a sense, parenting is the art of creative sacrifice. You do without. If your kids need shoes... And you need shoes. Who gets shoes? Kids. Your kids get shoes. And you know, you don't. You don't. As a child, you don't see that. You just receive that. You receive it as a child. So parents, the call is to sacrifice. And a church has to, a church has to care about the next generation. A church has to have this this recognizing that children are, are treasured and priceless. We have to always be thinking about the next generation. We have to invest in the next generation. A church that loses its heart for the next generation is a dying church. I wish I could tell you the number. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's it's a lot of churches. A lot of churches die every week, every day. Churches that have been in existence for a long time fold up and their properties get sold off. But at the same time, there are new churches being started all the time. I wish there was some way we could get the old churches that are going away to give their properties to the new churches that are coming up. But it doesn't happen very often. It does happen, it's amazing. It does happen occasionally. But often the, the old the church is full of older people is hanging on to mine, my church. They, you know, this is my church. I won't tell you, I've been here longer than any of y'all, except for Wendy. You know, because she's been here longer. than when, when I came to that little group of people at the Holiday Inn, Wendy was there. Everybody else is gone, Wendy's still here, okay? It's a long time ago. It's almost 40 years. I don't even know what I was going to say, uh, what I was going to say. I've been here a long time. Uh, what was the point? No, it's not my church. Yeah, that's what, that was the point. I've been, I've been here longer than all y'all, it's not my church, it's not Wendy's church. It's the Lord's church. It's the Lord's church. And so, so we, need to, we have to always be keeping the next generation in view. We need to be thinking about, we, we have to pass this along. We, we have, and, so, and so as older people, we're going, as the parents... The spiritual parents, we're going to sacrifice. They're going to do, because the next generation is going to do crazy stuff. Because we did, do you remember when our generation did crazy stuff? You remember what we did? We, we quit singing out of hymn books. You thought we were bringing demons into the church. <laughs> because we quit singing out of hymn books. We started having small groups. You know what they said? People told me, if you have small groups... Those people are going to get together and divide your church. We've never had a small group that has created a division. Now we've had division, but it wasn't a small group that did it, right? You know, it's just it, it's just people. So we have. So we did it. We've got to recognize the next generation is going to do some stuff. They're going to do church differently. I mean, even even you think about this. There's a lot of churches that. What they're watching a guy on a screen right now, and they're, they're totally OK with that. I can't afford to do it because it puts on 15 pounds. I can't, I can't take the baggage. But <laughs> another, another 15 pounds. Uh, so, so we have to in other words, we have to be yeah, it is on Facebook, so yeah. We have to be willing to sacrifice, as parents, to buy shoes for the next generation, to make the sacrifices. There may be things as we go along, just like, you know, there's things that we do now. All, I don't need all the folder all. And some <laughs> of you don't even know what that is. But I don't need smoke, and I don't need lights. I need a light so you can see me. But I don't need all of that. But you know what? It's not for me. It's for another generation. And say so you come in if you come in and say, "Boy, the music's loud." What, just think to yourself, "It's cuz I'm old." <laughs> cuz I say I think that, I think it all the time. "Boy, it's loud." "Oh, it's cuz I'm old." <laughs> it's, not, it's okay. It's okay. We have to invest in the next generation. That was just, a, you know, that's just a side point. I'm just throwing that there. Number three, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where the leader is the servant. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. Now, wouldn't you be, Do you think about this, their mother is coming to Jesus to ask Jesus for a raise. Think about it came to jesus with her sons bowing down and making a request of him and he said to her what do you wish and she said to him command that your, in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and one on your left you know if they're going to be you know the in they're going to be in power and position in the kingdom but jesus said you don't know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that i'm about to drink and they said to him, We are able, which means they put her up to ask him because when Jesus asked the question, they responded, uh, Yes, we're able. Jesus, but well, Jesus is saying, What's the cup that Jesus is going to drink? His death. They don't really know that yet. I mean, they don't know what the cup is going to entail. But they're saying, basically saying, Jesus, we're in. Whatever happens to you, let it happen to us. You know. They said, we're able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. Yes, you are going to drink the cup of suffering and death. But the sit on my right and my left it's not mine to give, but it's for those who it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. So the the other ten are thinking, you know what they're thinking? Why didn't I think of this? If they'd had cell phones, they'd have been like, mom, mom, get down here. There's a race for the number one and two position. (laughs) And and old mom zebedee's beat you to it <laughs> you know so just crazy the ten were they're they're angry because that's what they were wanting but jesus called them to himself and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them that's i mean we rule we rule with power what, what's important is power i mean are you is anybody here tired of the political process right now are you tired of the advertisements on television? Have you thought about maybe shooting your television or something? It's like, I, I don't want to hear another ad. I don't want to get anything in the mail. I don't want to get anything on my phone. I am sick of it. Right? So, what is it about political power that they want? Once they get it, they want to keep it. Right? So, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Jesus came to serve. One of the great Examples of this is on the night that he was betrayed on the, the, before the Last Supper, the glorious king, our king. Before he asked his followers to lay down their lives, he laid down his life. He didn't say, lay down your life for me, until he has already laid down his life for us. John chapter 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God... And was going back to God Jesus knew he was God okay he knew he had come from God he knew when this was all over he was going back to God so Jesus is secure in who he is servanthood always flows from a secure real servanthood biblical servanthood flows from understanding your position in God If you're insecure about your position in God it's hard for you to serve other people if you're insecure that who you are in God you want people to serve you to to establish that you're loved and cared for in other words you're wanting them to meet your value and your need but when it's established then it opens us up to serve So Jesus, knowing that he'd come from God, was going to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself, and then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel, which he had girded. So when he came to Simon Peter, he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. You know, this is Peter. He's always mouthing off. Jesus answered him, if I don't, don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, well, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. It's like, man, you lost me in the washing and the cleaning and the cleaning and the washing. Yeah. Right? You know. So what Jesus is saying, he brings, he brings in the analogy that I'm going to wash you. I'm gonna wash it some of you are washed you need to be washed from your sins only we can wash away your sins I'm the only one that can do it you need to be washed then he said in the midst of this he's saying some of you aren't aren't clean some of you aren't washed and because Judas is there and Judas is gonna go betray him, Jesus is gonna wash the feet of the man who's going to betray him think about that he said so so you're washed, he said, but, but, this is a, but you, also need to, you also need to be clean. You, you need to be clean, you need to be washed. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it is completely clean. And you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew that the one who was betraying him for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? you call me teacher and lord and you're right for so i am if i then the lord and the teacher wash your feet you ought also to wash one another's feet for i gave you an example that you should do as i did for you truly truly i say to you a slave is not greater than his master nor is one who has sent greater than one who sent him if you know these things you are blessed if you do them so I want you to prepare yourself because in a few moments, the ushers are going to come and bring basins and towels, uh, and we're going to wash each other's feet. Now, it's easier today than it used to be when women wore pantyhose. Uh, and, and somebody just on the front row, Glennis said, nope, not happening. And here's the thing, it's not happening. I made that up. <laughs> That's all it takes to get you to leave? i thought it was tougher than that anyway anyway you set yourself up for that i'm sorry uh, but just that made you a little uncomfortable right to think oh ooh, wait wait it's kind of like bobbing for apples <laughs> <laughs> bobbing for apples and washing somebody else's feet now here's the thing jesus is saying there's a practical there was a practical need here they had dirty feet Jesus used that to show them that they needed to serve each other, because they'd all been too stubborn to serve each other. Somebody in the group, you know, maybe the ones who wanted to be at the right and the left hand, maybe they should have said, hey, what Jesus has already taught us is that we should uh, serve one another. He's already been telling us this, so maybe when they went into this room to eat, one of them should have grabbed the towel and the basin, And started washing each other's feet but nobody was willing to debase themselves and serve the others so jesus recognized it here's a practical need that needs to be met so how do we meet each other's practical needs how do we serve each other well there's you know there's the physical needs there's things you can do with people need food or money or help or clothing but a lot of times there's more than that there's a There's where we can help one another. Romans 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Can't read. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. (laughs) Devoted to prayer. Contributing, Contributing to the needs of the saints. I might have to get somebody to come here and read for me. Practicing hospitality. I haven't had anything to drink, I promise you. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. So he said, you know, what, what's a practical thing you can do? Well, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Give each other honor and devotion. Care for each other. Be of the same mind with one another. Romans fifteen five. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. How did God accept you? Were you still, or were you a mess when Christ accepted you? Were you did you have sin in your life? How do we accept each other? We accept each other as a work in progress. God's still working on us. He's still working on you. So we accept each other as less than perfect. God's still working on us. Romans 16, here's a good one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. There's another uncomfortable Bible verse. Okay. Now we read the Bible in the context of the people it was written to. To read the Bible in context does not just mean reading the verses before and after it. We also read it in context to the culture that were reading this verse, the people in Rome that were reading this. In Rome, this was a very common greeting. There are some cultures that are very out there, and the Roman culture was out there. Men, women, men, and men, when they greeted each other, they kissed each other on the lips. And it's not that long ago, I was, when I was in Czechoslovakia in the early 90s, and I was at a church meeting, the men in the church would kiss you on the lips. And it's hard to get comfortable with that. And because you'd see this, you know, have you ever seen a lot of r- Russian dental work where they got a lot of silver and, you know, you know teeth, you know? And here's a guy... In the church, he, he grabs you by the shoulders, and you think, "Oh no, <laughs> here it comes!" <clears throat> but you, you know, you can't. You're visiting; you can't be rude. So, as they as they approach, as they approach, you try to wait till the very end and turn, so that you know maybe you get a peck on the cheek. <laughs> seems seems better. I don't know, and, uh, and but they would follow you. <laughs> they, would, they would follow you. It was like, you couldn't get away from it. So, that was in Czechoslovakia. Now, in the Czech Republic, uh, uh, Stanislav, who's been here many times, uh, Stanislav Bubik, uh, was in that church even at that time. And I talked to him about that one day, and he said, oh, we stopped doing that. We don't do that anymore. Now, why'd they do it? It was the cultural norm. It's not our cultural norm. So, is there a principle behind it? So we can read that and say, okay, greet another with the holy kiss. Okay, we're not going to do that because our culture, we would each struggle with that. Not every, there are some cultures would still be okay, but it, we're going to struggle with that. What do we do? Well, what, you know what it means? It means notice each other, yeah. greet each other, say hello, be friendly. Value each other. In words, value somebody. You know, you have to be careful because you can get into a place to where you're, you you don't notice the people around you. You don't give them attention. You're, in words, you get in your own thing. You get in your own click. You get in your own world. You get in your own stuff, and you don't notice the people around you that may be by themselves or alone. And so you, so. We should always work on that. We need to be aware of that. If you look around, you see somebody sitting by themselves, there are some pe- people sitting, sitting by themselves today. In reality, unless they want to, nobody should be sitting by themselves. We're the body of Christ. We're family. Now, I, know some, I know, you know some of y'all don't want to get close to each other. I understand that. You're all, you're all you know, thick with COVID, I understand. So. Uh, but these are different times. But what does it mean? It means we need to go out of our way to notice each other and help each other, greet each other. Treat everybody as important. Why? Because everybody's precious to God. Everybody is important. Galatians 5. You were called to freedom, brethren, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love (laughs) serve one another. So by the end of the service, you're going to wash each other's feet and you're going to kiss each other, and we're going to bob for apples. Uh, you were called a freedom, brethren. Only, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Sometimes people feel like they're not connected to the church. You may feel like you may feel like after coming here for a long time, you're not connected to the church. And I want to tell you that one of the things to getting connected is is by serving, not sitting. It will help you get connected if you find a place to serve it even you know and it's good to serve with children it's good to serve with adults it's good to move around in different areas to serve and meet different people and different tasks uh, it's hard to feel connected to something where you have no personal commitment now jesus said where your treasure is there will your heart be also so a lot of times you can invest money in something and it will help you feel connected but sometimes we use money as an escape of having to be connected does that make sense in other words because we you know one of the resources that we have is money what is what's the most valuable resource you have it's not money it's time so a lot of times we will we will give we will give money so that we don't have to give time that's you know that's great i guess but it misses out. God wants you to, wants you to have a level of commitment. It's great to have the money, but you need to make, make a a commitment to where you're, you feel a part. You're connecting yourself with a commitment. And the most valuable thing you have is time when you give yourself in time. And this is great. I'm glad you're here. I'm not despising that at all. I'm glad you're here, but it's still not a connection. It's not enough you need to be in a small group. Not only do you need to be in a small group, you need to find some place to serve. And in serving, maybe it's in with children or maybe it's handing out donuts uh, or, or finding, fighting people off that are trying to take too many donuts. You know, it's, it's, uh, so you need to find a place to serve. Number four, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom where you gain your life by losing it. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, when Jesus said this, he hadn't been to the cross. They didn't understand the significance of what he was saying. But they did know in first century Judea. If they saw a man carrying his cross, he was on his way to die. They understood that. So what Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, which is what you choose, and choose what I choose instead. Or you're going to have to say what he's going to say in the future. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. That you're going to have to deny yourself, die to yourself, which is unusual, you think. Okay, so you have to, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, And follow me. Doesn't that seem unusual? You're going to deny yourself and you're going to die and then come follow me. He's saying to effectively follow Jesus, there has to be a daily dying. A daily giving of yourself, a daily of surrendering your will to Christ. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake will find it. He says if you, if you try to get a, hang on to life and try to do it your way, you're going to find an empty hand. But if you, if you lose your life in me, if you lose your life by taking up the cross and following me, if you live your life by saying, not my done, will be done, but your will be done, if you live your life that way, you're not going to lose your life, you're going to find your life. If you live your life grabbing hold of your dreams, it's good to have dreams. But if you put your dreams before God, they are idols. It's good to have a dream, but the dream has to always be submitted to the will and the purpose of God. We don't submit the purposes of God to our dreams. And so we have to, what what is your dream? Well, one of the things, you know, you would want to say, Lord, what's your will for my life? Because we don't want the idol of our own desires do you, what do you think is best for you? What you want for you or what God wants for you? You're afraid to answer that. Okay. All right. For we are of the true circumcision, Paul is talking to the Philippians, who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I might myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh. He says, you know, I'm not going to brag but if everybody else is bragging, I'm going to brag a little bit. He said, I don't have any confidence in my flesh but if everybody else is going to talk about what they've accomplished, then I'm going to talk about it too. He said, look, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcise the eighth day. That is the requirement of the law of the nation of Israel. So he says, I'm, I'm of the i'm of the people of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of Heru, hebrews as to the law of pharisee another, another another select group as to zeal a persecutor of the church he said i have I proved how much i was committed to being a jew by killing people who were claiming to be followers of christ as to the righteousness which is found in the law blameless he said if you he said if if you followed me around you'd say I was keeping the law one lying, cheating stealing committing adultery was murdering but only with permission but whatever whatever things were gained to me those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Paul says, Christ freed me from the pursuit of idols in my life. And all the things I was pursuing with all of the energy of my being, now that I have found Christ, I realize they're all as worthless as dung. They have no value as compared to knowing Christ more than the idol of the approval of men what we do for the approval of men more than the idol of success and accomplishment more than the idol of money and the comfort that money brings paul says all of those things all the approval of men all the success and accomplishment all the accolades all the attention all the pursuing the happiness that i that i pursued he says it's all it's all worthless in comparison to knowing christ Tim Keller says this about idols. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness... That only God Himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. Things and success are all good, but they can't meet the longing in your heart. God made you, He created you with a God shaped vacuum in your life. And the only thing that can fill that emptiness no toys, no money. No person, no thing can fill a space that was created for God himself. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can give your life real purpose and value. Paul says, and being found in him. Paul said, I found myself in him. You know, people start go, are always looking for themselves. I've got better news than that. God's looking for you. And when Paul was found by God, he found himself in Christ, and he found purpose and destiny and life. Amen. Let's stop and pray. Stand up. Thank you, Lord. thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you've called us to a kingdom that is not something we see around us. The world doesn't have it. The world doesn't see it. They don't see servanthood. They don't see valuing one another. They don't don't see it. They don't see that children are, are precious. Lord, but you've called us to a new kingdom. Lord, help us to live in this upside-down kingdom in such a way that, that we will see that and the world will see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I love you.